Hello and welcome to The Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. Alright, welcome to this session. The name of the session is Freedom from Lust in All of Its Forms. My name is Dennis W. I'm from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. My sobriety date is July 2nd, 1996. I can't tell you how thrilled I am to be at another international conference and especially to be here with you. A shout out to my Monday, Friday uh, home group back in Milwaukee. Um, I'm a recovering sexaholic. I will be facilitating this session. I'm joined today by Brian S., uh, my teammate uh, right here. So each of us will share our recovery on this topic. Then we will take time to answer questions. Questions will be taken from the Ask It basket. If you wish to participate, write your question on a 3 by 5 card and place it in the basket on the table. Can somebody point to where that basket is, please? Yeah, we don't have a basket. Okay, here. Chair. We'll pass those around. Basket chair. <laughs> yeah, a basket chair. All right. In the spirit of the fifth tradition, to carry this message, this is a recorded session. The recording equipment will not be turned off during the session. We ask that you please silence all cell phones at this time. Let us open with the serenity prayer. God, has things I cannot change, church to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. The essay purpose, Sexaholics Anonymous is a fellowship of men and women who share their experience, strength, and hope with each other that they may solve their common problem and help others to recover. The only requirement for membership is a desire to stop lusting and become sexually sober. There are no dues or fees for SA membership. We are self-supporting through our own contributions. SA is not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organization, or institution. Does not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorses nor opposes any causes. Our primary purpose is to stay sexually sober and help others to achieve sexual sobriety. Okay, so what I'm going to do is turn the podium over to Brian. Um, Brian, how about if I give you a nod at five minutes and two minutes? And that sounds great. Very good. Good afternoon and welcome to the convention. Thank you for allowing me to speak and do service. My name is Brian S. Um, I'm from Nashville, Tennessee. My home group is There is a Solution. We meet on Saturdays. I have a sponsor who has a sponsor. We work the steps. We haven't worked them. We're working them actively. Uh, I've been sober about three and a half years now. Um, 
this whole idea of what brought me into the program is I identify with the the problem as it's stated in the literature. So everything you hear me talk about is going to be based on the literature, which I refer to as the work instructions. And my problem is I feel inadequate, unworthy, alone, and afraid, and my insides don't match the outsides of others. And I solve that problem by acting out sexually to get rid of all that discomfort. And this whole idea of the word lust, you know, I hear people in the meetings, and I've, I've been, been around for about six years now. People say, I'm lusting, I'm lusting, I'm lusting. That's what we do. <laughs> That's like an alcoholic saying, I'm going to go drink. So I know you're lusting, but are you feeling inadequate, unworthy, alone, or afraid? Tell me what you're feeling. And in our literature, and if you want to follow me, I can't remember the page, uh, but uh, I believe it's on page 40 of the White Book. It says, what, what is lust? And it gives us a definition. And it says, lust is an attitude demanding that a natural instinct serve unnatural desires. So what are my unnatural desires? Um, The desires are to be liked, to be loved, to be admired, to be envied, to be sought after by females because I'm heterosexual. To be desired. So this whole idea of lust, well, in other forms, well, I need to go buy a car because it's a natural instinct to have transportation. But I can only afford a Toyota Camry. But because I am addicted to lust, I may go buy the Mercedes Benz and go into debt. Because I want you to like me because now you see a car that I have and you think because my material possession is great, you'll like me a little bit better. And that's how I grew up. And in the 12 steps, it tells us that made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of a God as we understood him. And it also says in how it works that no human power can relieve me of my disease. Human power is anything that is man-made. My sponsor is a human power. My watch is a human power. I may need to know how to tell time. That's a natural desire. But I don't need a $50,000 Rolex to do it when all I need is a $25 Casio. They both do the same thing. Now, I'm not saying that a Rolex is a bad watch or you shouldn't have nice things. But what I'm saying is we're talking about lust in all its forms, demanding that a natural instinct serve an unnatural desire. I want you to like me. If I have a Rolex, maybe you'll like me more. If I work 80 hours a week and make way more money, maybe you'll admire me because I make a lot of money. That's where I see lust in my life showing up. It's not just about the sexually acting out. That's how I, that was my answer. 
So once I got sober and in recovery and started working these steps, I started looking at all how lust pops up in my life all around me. And what I learned is I had to do an inventory of what are those human powers that I lean on to cure my disease. I learned a long time ago, we always say disease. I've heard it's better to say dis-ease because that's what I have is a dis-ease. I'm not comfortable, calm. Because the word sober means calm. That's how I define it. Calm, peace, harmony, serenity. (laughs) Silence, quiet, calmness. And to me, that's what I was always after. I was always after peace and harmony. I just didn't know how to get it. I had a desire to, the work that I chose, I wanted to be a professional actor. Um, And most of the reason I wanted that so bad was because I wanted the world to admire me. And look, say, look at him. He's so cool. Like he wears this. And just the way I worshiped actors. I wasn't comfortable being myself. And that's what this recovery process has taught me is how to be comfortable being me. It's okay to be who I am. And I get my self-esteem and I get my power from my higher power, not from other people. So I wake up every morning, and my higher power has given me breath. That's all the self-esteem I need in the world. Because no matter whether I get a job, or I don't have a job, or I'm making a lot of money, or I'm not making a lot of money, it doesn't matter. I'm still breathing. I'm still alive. And that's what counts, is being alive. Because when I'm alive, I have a chance to go do and be and do all this other stuff. So... For me, this I actually jumped at the chance to talk about this because uh, as I'm in the recovery rooms, I happen to be single. And a majority of the people in the rooms are married. So it's very difficult sometimes I'll hear people when they talk about what their wife is doing. I don't have a wife. I'm seeking a relationship with a female, so I'm doing some healthy dating. But that person is just supposed to be a partner in my life. They're not supposed to be any, they're not supposed to be my higher power. They're not supposed to be my employer. They're not supposed to be, there's all these things that I put on this dependency relationships. The the problem describes dependency relationships in our white book. Codependency, being dependent on something else. For a while, I didn't have a job that I was really super proud of. You know, I worked in a call center. And I felt very, you know, I knew I had more potential. But um, this whole idea of, of for, for me, for males, I, I, I can't speak for all males, but, you know, what I do defines me. You know, who are you? When I'm at a party or when I'm at a social gathering and people talk to me, they go, well, the first thing they say is, what do you do? And my answer I learned from my sponsor's sponsor is they're asking me a question, what do you do? And I say, for what? because I don't know how specific they're getting. And then they say, oh, for, and they get all jumbled, and I look at them and I say, you mean, how do I make money? And they laugh. 
And I get them to be very specific. And then we can know each other as human beings, not as what you, and not as human doings. So this whole idea of lust, when I came into the program, lust was all about the unnatural desire of using sex to get all that comfort and, and, and being liked and loved and, and hiding all these feelings. And I was using sex for, for that, and it wasn't working. And when I got into the program and I let go of work of acting out, I had to do the real work, which is how to get how do I take care of these problems without sex, without masking it with sex. So I would invite you and encourage you to consider that while this program and while it's very sexy to sit in a meeting and say, I'm acting out and talk about all my sexual exploits. I will offer you to consider that that is merely the band-aid in the very beginning and a very, very thin beginning of what this recovery process can be for you. And I think that's what separates us from the other S programs is we're talking about lust in all its forms and not just sexually acting out. So I thank you very much. I wish I had more to share, but uh, just being here is great. I, I can tell you... I entered SA when I moved back to town in 2010 or 2011. I went with my sponsor. I had the least amount of sobriety. In fact, I was the guy that got the book at the birthday party. And now I'm here leading a session with three and a half years of recovery. And uh, my life has changed for the better. So I'll offer you to consider to grab yourself a white book. Grab yourself a sponsor. Grab yourself some outside help if you need it and start the recovery process because I'm living proof that it works. Thank you. Thanks, Brian. Uh, it's interesting how things work when you try to work your program. One of the ways I try to work my program, and I don't do it probably any better than you do, but I try, is I read the essay. Uh, I have found the essay to be a great source of inspiration, insight, and such. And wouldn't you know it, they just passed out the most recent one in my home meeting, um, and that was from uh, December of uh, 2019. And Kirsten S. says in there about lust, she says, lust is not accepting what God gives you as enough. And I was invited to uh, give this uh, share today, and I was looking for a place to begin, and all of a sudden I realized that the my higher power had given me something, to, a beginning point uh, that was very, very meaningful to me, not accepting what God gives you as enough. I'm going to come back to that in a few minutes. So what do I want out of life? And I think I can even broaden this out to say, what do we want out of life? I would assume that we all want to be loved. I would assume that we all want to be accepted for who we are, what we are. We want to have hope for the future. I certainly want to have hope that 
I can have another day of sobriety. We also need to have self-respect. Sometimes they use the word dignity. I want to be able to lay my head on the pillow at the end of a day or wake up in the morning and have that sense about myself that, okay, I'm within reason, I'm trying, I'm moving in the right direction. Well, I guess it's easier to make my point by saying, I don't want to feel the way I used to feel, where I used to wonder, oh my God, is anybody going to discover what I did yesterday? Or will every, anybody ever become aware of what's really running through my mind? Even if I happen to be smiling at you and interacting with you, what's really going on? Perhaps you recognize that scenario. So in the essay white book on page 40, I want to go to the definition as our literature provides it. It says, lust is an attitude demanding that a natural instinct serve unnatural desires. A natural instinct serving unnatural desires. Well, in the AA Big Book, which is the foundation literature for our program, there's a brief discussion in there in the... Um, about step four, where they talk about the natural and God-given and therefore rightful instincts that we each and every one of us have. The social instinct, the security instinct, and the sexual instinct. And when lust is being defined as an attitude demanding that a natural instinct serve unnatural desires, I think it's these three instincts that are being uh, uh, referred to. In fact, I want to give a shout out to Joe and Charlie. How many of you have experienced the Joe and Charlie tapes? I tell you folks, once I figured out that the AA material is the foundation material for this program and our white book is an extension and a wonderful and beautiful one it is, I really tried to dig in and understand the AA literature had some issues with that, had some problems with that. Listening to those JoJo and Charlie tapes again and again, discs, however you may get them. I saw them on sale at Lee's CD table, so if you don't have them, get them there. They have a real down-home, folksy way of making the points that are sometimes hard to grasp, or at least for me, they were hard to grasp in the AA literature. So... Lust is an attitude demanding that a natural instinct serve unnatural desires. My social instinct tells me that I need companionship. I'm human. I have to have companionship. My social instinct tells me that I have to have a, um, uh, a sense of prestige. Prestige is, is that, that which we believe others believe about us. We have to have a sense of that other people think we're okay. That's that acceptance thing. And it also goes on to say under the social instinct that we need to have a good feeling about ourselves. Well, there was a lot of my life where I didn't have that good feeling. But here's the good news. I'm starting to have a better feeling about myself. And I hope what I share today evidences that so, types of lust. Lust in all of its form. Every one of us knows about the sexual fantasy, the physical arousal that corresponds to that, the act of bringing ourselves to completion. We all know about that. 
And that, of course, is probably where we found our way into our addiction and developed our sexaholism around those kinds of behavior. And I certainly needed to get sober from that, and I struggled probably like you did for a while. But thanks to my higher power, I found my way there some time ago. And by God's grace, I've stayed sober over those years. But then, then I had to begin to understand where lust was, where else in my life lust was appearing. I've already heard Brent, uh, Brian, I did this like seven times today, Brian uh, referred to being desired. Boy, nothing could do me, uh, fill me with more energy than trying to get somebody to desire me. I wanted to be desired. Social instinct. What do I believe others believe about me? I wanted to be desired. I wanted to, um, I wanted to gain riches. I wanted money. I wanted to drive the car that Brian was referring to and such. I wanted to wear that watch. That was important to me. That gave me a release from what I was suffering from inside. So, I also wanted to be the best in my career path. I'm telling you folks, I worked hard. And I worked even harder. And I looked around and I made sure I worked harder than anybody else around me. And I did get that uh, success in my career path. But when it was all done and over with, it was self-serving. The only reason I did it is because I wanted to be ready for the day when they found out who I really was, what I was really thinking, what I was doing in secret. I could somehow survive, somehow survive that moment. So, but lust took me in other directions. In time, I realized that I was, uh, another form of lust for me was fantasizing resentments. Did you know that for me, most of the resentments I feel are based on things that never happened? I am expert at meeting you and within 30 seconds, I can have resentment towards you about who knows what. That machine, Joe and Charlie really do a good job talking about that. I also came to realize that I was getting lost in fantasies of revenge. I was getting off on it, folks. Something would happen. I would want to get you back. I probably would never do anything out here in the outside world, but inside my head, I just did all kinds of not-so-good things to you. But what am I trying to say? These are all forms of lust. What was I trying to do in each and every one of those? Fill that hole, something that was inside me, something that was missing. I was lusting. And each and every time I, I, I achieved whatever it was, I found out it wasn't enough. And so it introduces the idea of progressive lust. I know for certain that that describes me well. I, my lust was growing. It was getting bigger and bigger. It was becoming more and more insidious. Nothing was stopping what was going on between this year and this year, no matter what was going on out here as we talked to one another. So how do I know when I'm lusting? 
regardless of the form that the lust is taking. For Dennis, I know that I'm lusting when I'm taking and not giving. Now, that may seem like an oversimplification, but for me, it really came down to that bottom line. If I can just pause for a moment and consider what I do, if I can enter into that prayerful reflection, even even for just a few seconds, I can ask myself the question, Dennis, in this moment and what you're doing and what you're thinking, are you giving or are you taking? If I'm taking, I promise you, I'm lusting in some form. And my unfortunate reality was, is, that when I entertain lust in any form, sooner or later, it tries to express itself in every form. So I want to come back to the idea, the program idea of progressive victory over lust. Folks, I have to work on all these things. Oh, I'm not saying that I'm anywhere close to really good at any of this. I have my days, and I have some good days too in that. But here's what I know for certain in my own program experience, my life experience. If I start lusting in any one of these areas, it's going to get on a roll, it's going to grow, and it's going to take it over in the other areas. Pretty soon I'm right back trying to uh, elevate my career, try to make more money, try to make people like me all those different kind of things. It comes to me as natural as breathing. So, if lusting is taking, then it occurs to me, it occurred to me, actually my sponsor helped me with this, thank goodness for sponsors, that it was really fear-based. And this is straight out of the program literature. Fear-based. What are my fears? My fears are always about either losing something I already have or fearing that I won't get what I deserve. And if I go into fear, I begin lusting. I want it. I need it. i got to have it. There's a quote that I made note of that I want to read to you. It's from uh, Recovery Continues. Uh, for the date of January 9th. As I was working, step one, I saw how lust had infiltrated all areas of my life, where I chose to eat, where I chose to buy gasoline, walk, drive my car, the books and entertainment I selected, the people I was drawn to, my sense of humor. All of these were determined by my obsession with lust. No wonder my life was so unmanageable. That describes Dennis. That's exactly where I was. So where am I heading? Where am I heading? What is my plan of action? What is my plan of action to gain progressive victory over lust? Just a little bit at a time, each and every day. My main tools have become identifying lust in all of its forms, and surrendering the, the, the lust in the moment, in the moment that I realize it. That's what works for me. Again, am I really great at this? Well, I'm getting better at it, but I actually slow down long enough and ask myself, Dennis, are you taking? Are you taking? 
And if I'm taking, I try to turn it around then and there, give it up to my higher power, surrender, and see if I can't take turn it into a give. I want to be sober. My first step is solid. There's no wiggle in it. Whenever I'm up against something, all I have to do is go back and ask myself, do I want to live as I once did? And in the context of this presentation and this share, do I want to go back and lust the way I once did? No, I don't. I want to make progress. And I ask each and every one of you, to help me do that. This fellowship is everything to me. Everything. I come to these international conferences because I need to be around five, six, seven hundred people, like-minded people, people who living are trying to live in sobriety, that they have a real culture of sobriety. This is important to me. This is what I, I absorb and I take home from here. It charges, recharges my battery. So I just want to end by saying I wish each and every one of you another 24 hours of sobriety. Oh, thank you very much. (laughs) If I could have a couple volunteers to split that deck of index cards and pens and just walk down the aisle and hold them up and if you have something that you want to ask us, ask for that index card. Write it down, and we'll be right with you. I can take a, a, a question by from a handheld, just to get rolling here. Yes, sir. Leon, um, I was wondering, at work, do you have any experience about setting goals? Sometimes, let's say, coaches at work would be set goals. I know for myself, then I get carried away and started lusting after these goals. And when they didn't happen, I started getting frustrated. I did not happen. And it started becoming a lot of self-will. So where's the balance of maybe? Okay, the question is coming from Leon. I'll rephrase it as best I can. When I have work goals and I'm trying to reach them, and I assume these are, are goals that make good sense within the context of your work, and I'm not getting there, and the wheels start coming off the bus, and I start going towards lust, what do I do? Is that what you're asking? I think it's being, let's say, self-employed in sales. So it's all, I'm setting the goals from the beginning. It's what's maybe healthy. I need the and I should want to make a living, and how much living, and what can I do with the money, in a good way, but at the same time, the, the whole goal is coming from a place of lust. Mm-hmm. So self-will takes over. Correct. Correct. So what, uh, what, we can suggest, what I can suggest to you off the top of my head is, this is when you have to do, just stop and do some prayerful reflection and just ask yourself, is this self is this um, self serving? Am I now moved over to the area where I'm doing this because I'm trying to express my lust to fulfill my lust for success and riches? I overstated it for that purpose and that. And that's what I would encourage you to do: is just stop and ask yourself: in this situation, is this for me? 
Is, or is this for my family or for the betterment of my company? Okay, I'll let uh, Brian take the first question on the card. Can you give us examples of your surrendering, specific examples of that surrender? Sure. Um, I moved to New York City and got into graduate school uh, at the Actors Studio Drama School. Got a partial scholarship and I wanted to be a professional actor and things were happening for me. And when I got into recovery, first through AA and then to the SA Fellowship, I moved back to Nashville and decided that I, uh, being a professional actor was not healthy for me. It was not a healthy environment. So I gave it up. Um, I let it go. And I, my sponsor's sponsor asked me, he said, if you will do one thing and one thing only, I promise you your life will change in recovery. And I said, what was it? And he said, find out where the love needs to be and put it there. And my father, who's got cancer right now, asked me to work with him. And uh, my mother cannot drive due to health issues. And so he takes care of her in the morning. So where does the love need to be to take care of my parents and give up all these lofty aspirations of being famous? Because none of it got me anywhere anyway. So the real answer is find out where the love needs to be put and put it there. And he was right. There's another one I can answer real quick, if that's all right with you. What do I do if I do not want to surrender or I've, I cannot surrender lust? Well, go act out. <laughs> I can't work your recovery for you. Your sponsor can't work your recovery for you. Recovery works on one basic principle of the universe, and that's when, when you get to step zero, and step zero is this shit has got to stop. And if you don't believe me, Ask Bill Stewart, he's my sponsor, and he'll tell you that everybody needs to get to step zero, which is this shit has got to stop. And when you get to that point, you'll learn how to surrender. No one can do it for you. But I hope that you don't have to do anything. I hope your life doesn't get worse. My hope is not that, so... Okay, I have two that I'm going to read because they're similar. How do I stop lusting, get rid of the monster in my head? I find it very hard to surrender when the lust comes on in my mind. The desire is so strong. Any suggestions? My best suggestion is to develop your skills around using the tools of awareness and surrender. We all lust. I believe that I will lust the rest of my life. What I can do differently is permit myself to become aware of when I'm lusting. 
Folks, the honest to goodness truth was I used to really like the lust. It was kind of nice. It made me feel big and powerful and, and all the different things that go along with that. But it also was never enough. It always left me feeling empty. So as I said in my share, my two strongest, best tools for, for lust, even though I will lust the rest of my life, is or are to give myself permission to be aware, to no longer believe that it's my right to lust, to not give myself the false satisfaction of that moment of lust, and then to surrender. You know, surrender is a wonderful thing. Surrender is sometimes me calling one of my program fellows and just saying, you know what, I've got the monster in my head again. Or maybe I call my sponsor. Many times it's a moment of prayer in the moment. Or in the moment, it is prayer. That idea that, hey, higher power, I humbly am willing to give this totally over to you. Please, take it when you're ready to take it from me. I no longer need this to to live my life. This is a great one. Uh, Are personally oriented desires always bad for recovery over lust? I want my profession, my professional reputation to improve. Uh, So you're a human being first. I try to remind my sponsees this. Yes, I am a sexaholic, but I'm a human being first who has sexaholism. Not Everything is sexaholism. A lot of things are human. <laughs> I mean, the desire, like, like Dennis was describing perfectly, he wanted to be really good at his job, and there was a reason for it. I assume you got a family. I see you're married. He wants to support his family. There are a lot of people here who have kids. What we're talking about is how much of the work do I do, and then when do I stop and let go and let the universe answer? Universe meaning higher power, whatever you want to, whatever you want to come up with. We use it in recovery, we call it higher power. There's nothing wrong with having desires. These are all the feelings that I have as a human being. They're natural. The question is, Am I willing to listen to someone else known as a sponsor or other healthy recovery men or women when I give them an I, you know, I want my, I want, I'm in real estate right now. I work with my father and I would love to get as many commercial listings as I want, but I'm not going to go to the armory and buy a gun and go up to every owner who owns a building and put a gun up to their head and say, give me your listing. And you should laugh because that's ridiculous. I have a friend who I worked with who is in recovery, who is incarcerated because he robbed a bank. (laughs) That's how much he loved money. So much to the point where he got a gun and he walked in and said, give it to me. And the government doesn't like that. In fact, they don't like it so much they put you in in a place where you can't be around other people. That's how much they dislike it. So the question is, how far am I going to go? Now, those are extreme examples. Not everybody does that stuff. But the point is, I can rationalize. I tell my sponsees this also. You will win every time. You will beat me every time. You will out-rationalize me every time. You will tell me, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but. And I just go, you'll win, man. Go ahead, do it. But until you're willing to take my suggestion, that's the only time I'm sponsoring you. 
That's how I know you're being, that's how I know I'm being sponsored. It's when my sponsor gives me a suggestion and I do it. So the question is, am I willing to let go and see what the universe does and my higher power and experience my higher power, not worship my higher power, experience it? Or am I going to take all my control back and do what I used to do? And I can honestly tell you, I had enough of step zero. So surrendering is a lot easier these days than it used to be. i give you an example. I went out dating. I had a date about a week ago. I met this woman, and she told me she drinks. And we ended up at the same place, just coincidentally, watching the football game. Weren't sitting at the same table, but I was watching her, and I introduced her, my friend to her. We had just met. She had a pile of drinks at her table with her friends. I texted her a couple days afterwards. How was the rest of your weekend? She said, it took me all day Sunday to recover from Saturday night. That told me she was an alcoholic. She was drinking that much. It took her a whole day to recover. I deleted her from my phone. I deleted her off thing. I don't need that crap in my life. Some people need that. She was very attractive. I'm single. Some people are okay with having a partner that's going to drink and go crazy. I don't need that stuff anymore. That's surrender. (laughs) And trust me, it ain't fun. But I laugh about it because I'd rather have a life that's quiet than being in a partnership with someone who's drinking all the time that needs a whole day to recover from alcohol. Some people may enjoy that stuff. I don't. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Because we're running out of time. Take your time. Okay. Do whichever one you want. What's the difference between taking and receiving for you? Can you receive without over something? Instead, so I'll try to answer that question because it's an interesting one. Uh, taking, receiving. You know what? It just made me think that sometimes my wife, bless her heart, Barbara, you know, she tries so hard to be supportive of me and, and help me with things like uh, and such. And she'll give and give and give and give some more and such. I think that there's a point where I cross the line. Hopefully I don't do it too often, but I know I've done it some, where I've expected it. I began to take it for granted. So it shifted from me, it shifted into me taking. I demanded, I expect this, this is what I expect, this is, this is what she should do. And, and, and the truth of the matter is, in this situation, I have the opportunity to give. And giving in this situation is as simply as me saying to Barbara, thank you. Thanks for what you do. Thanks for that nice salad that you made tonight. Thank you for washing the clothes. Thank you for uh, earn, helping earn the living for our family. I love you. These kind of things are a way to change it. Yes, I can receive her gifts, but I don't need to take them for granted. I don't need to demand them. What I need to do is just be grateful around them. And I think that changes it from taking to giving. We need to finish up, so we're going to read the closing uh, materials. Sure. Thank you for being here today. Thank you. I just want to say thank you to Dennis because he reached out to me before we started and we got to know each other a little bit over the phone, and it's really nice to meet you. And 
thank you for joining me on the stage. We put this thing together. Uh, no. Uh, yeah, you're right. You're right. Does anybody have an extra question? What time? What time is it? Two o'clock. Okay. Well, we'll keep going. Okay. Uh, we'll answer another question. Surrendering. We did that one. I find it very hard to surrender when lust comes on my mind. The desire is so strong. Any suggestions? Okay. So I'll repeat that again. I find it very hard to surrender when lust comes on my mind. The desire is so strong. Any suggestions? Absolutely. First of all, are you working with a sponsor? Second of all, have you read the white book? Third, have you gone to the chapter on overcoming lust? Number four, have you written out prayer cards? Uh, Number five, are you carrying those prayer cards with you? Uh, Whenever my sponsor had me do it, and I've got them all at home on a bookshelf uh, because life has gotten a little bit easier in recovery, but I still have them and I show them to my sponsees. But my sponsor had me go through the Overcoming Lust chapter and write out my own prayers. So if it said, uh, you know, get rid of visual and audio stuff that we used to listen to that that is bad for our program, I would write, God, please help me with the desire to stop listening to records and music and watching TV that entertains lust. And I would carry these cards around me, with me in my pocket, in my wallet. We we, we suggested you put them on index cards because you can put them in your wallet, you can keep them in, you know, nobody's going to see, you got them in your pocket. And sometimes when I have a lustful thought, I would excuse myself, go to the restroom, pull out the prayer card, and read the prayer card. Or I'd read it right there. Um, I'll also offer that if you work the steps, you'll get to step 10 and 11. And one of those steps, uh, specifically step 10, will suggest that you take quiet time and practice meditation. That will revolutionize your recovery. Because the more you slow down... And the more quiet time you practice, the more you're able to have a thought come in and just say, hey, there's a thought. Doesn't mean you got to entertain it. It just means there's a thought. I don't have to act on every urge. Just because I have a thought, ah, I like that guy's watch. It doesn't mean I have to go take it. It just means I like the watch. (laughs) Now, I may have a thought that says, God, I I wish he'd take it off and leave it at the table and I'd just take it. That's a human thought. It's, a, it's not a big deal. It's just a thought. There's an attractive woman. I'd like to sleep with her. It's a thought. I don't have to act on it. I can give myself a little bit of grace and say, oh, I'm having human thoughts. I don't have to act on that right now. And lastly, I'll say, pick up the phone and call somebody. <laughs> don't be afraid to use the phone. I cannot tell you how imperative and important it is to pick up the phone and talk to somebody. Not text, not email, not mentally think you're making a phone call. Actually dial the number and wait for them and leave a message if they don't pick up. And then call another phone number. Thank you for laughing. I agree. It's so simple. But I, I didn't do it a lot and I paid for it. But I learned as I did it. A lot of times when people call me, they're interrupting me from something that I thought I needed to do that I didn't need to do. I remember when I was sitting at the computer about to act out, looking at pornography, and all of a sudden a phone would ring. 
And it would be somebody in the program. Imagine that. <laughs> I didn't make this stuff up. It just sort of happened. But now I get phone calls all the time when I'm like in traffic and, you know. So I hope that helps with that question. Okay, um, I read through these, and I think these three are in the same ballpark, so I'm going to read all three. So how do you measure when something you enjoy, like a hobby, sports, books, becomes a way to act out on lust? What are the ways you interpret lustful preoccupations, especially when you begin to slip but haven't uh, relapsed yet? When do I, what do I do if I do not want to surrender or feel control and if I do not want to surrender or feel or, or control um, lust? We answered that. Did we? Yeah. But this was one. Okay. How would progressive victory be described? So. Um. I have to bring a take us go back to this this the very simple idea of pause, reflect, connect, connect. Pause means that we take a moment of prayerful reflection. I don't know about you, but my train gets on the tracks and gets rolling, and I'm thinking what I'm thinking and feeling what I'm feeling. And by God, if I feel it or think it, we're going to go for it and such. Right there is the first red flag that I'm probably in lust getting ready to take. If I can pause for a moment and ask myself the question, am I uh, preparing to take from this person or this situation, or am I preparing to give, will uh, provide me some insight. As the train starts rolling down that uh, track and we get closer and closer to uh, acting out on it, I think the most basic thing we need to do is exactly what um, Brian suggests, and that's pick up the phone and call. Folks, if you're anything like me, you are already able to recognize if you are in lust. What you need to do, just like me, is not be in denial. I kind of like lust. I mentioned it already, how it feels. I get all puffed up. I'm all powerful. I'm on a roll. I'm that train running down the tracks and such. But mm-mm, mm-mm. if I recognize that in myself, if I can just go into that, if I can just pause, if I can just reflect, peripheral reflection, then it gives me a chance to connect back to my program. Pause, reflect, connect. Connect, how can I connect to my program? Well, Brian mentioned, pick up the phone. It's the most magic uh, tool that we have. Even after all these years, I hesitate to call, but I still benefit tremendously every time I do pick up the phone and call. And sometimes that's just as simple as saying, hey, the monster's in my head again. I can feel it. I can feel it building and such. And I just need to say it to somebody. And it even works for me in that situation if I leave a voicemail. I've said it to somebody. I'm outside of my head. I'm no longer between my ears. It gives me a chance to... Uh, stay sober a little bit longer. 
So how do I measure when something you enjoy, like a hobby, sports, books, become a way to act out on lust? If, if you observe in yourself that that's where you go, that if you are saying to you're acting as if I'm going to do an okay, an okay thing obsessively, that is, I'll just make it up, roller skating. When I feel all filled with lust, like I was just talking about, I put on my roller skates and skate. And I skate from here, and I go to California, and I skate over to Arkansas, and I keep skating and skating until I don't feel that way. That's probably a fairly good indication that it's time to stop, pause, to pause, reflect, and connect. Pick up that phone and say to somebody, the monster's in my head again. Lust is there, and it's expressing itself this way, that way, or whatever. And I'm trying to deny it by roller skating across America. That's what I got. What, what time you got? I think we're ready to probably. Oh, well, we got some time. Right. Sorry, we're not trying to get out of here. We're just just trying to stay on schedule. How do you relate resentment to lust? That is, in, oh, you did the work situation. I think that was answered. Um. Sorry. Denial. My disease tells me I don't have a disease. I know it's a problem. Then I think it's not. Again, that's a that's a step zero thing. You know, you know if if you you know the the AA literature in working with others tells us to you know if somebody wants to keep going, say go out there, try some controlled drinking, see what happens if. You know, it's not that we just don't have a monopoly on this stuff. Maybe you're not a sexaholic. Maybe you're just experiencing some issues. I don't know. Um, our own. It says it in our literature. It says our own self-awareness brings us to this point to say, hey, I got a problem and I want to stop. So, um, but I was in denial too because, all you know, my background is I happen to be, I would say, upper well, in in between middle and upper class Jewish, you know, and Jews aren't addicts. We're not criminals. We don't do anything wrong. You know, obviously, you've never heard of Bugsy Siegel who created Las Vegas. But uh, thank you for getting that. But uh, yeah, I mean, the Jews had a mafia. We were in Detroit and all over the place, and we gamble. And but there's this myth that you know Jewish people don't have problems. We're Jewish, so and you know. On the outside, everything looked okay. You know, my I finished college in four years. I got into law school. You know, everything was looked great, but I didn't feel great. So it's easy from a materialistic standpoint to go, oh, he's making money. He's just a character. He just has some issues. He's just a handful. You know, all these euphemisms and ridiculous characteristics that just don't say, no, he's an addict and he has problems. Um, so I, I was in denial also because things were just kind of going well until they stopped going well. And then I decided that I had reached step zero. So my hope for you is that you reach step zero as quickly as possible. And I hope the consequences aren't that bad. So, um, I hope that helps. Thank you so much. We need to stop. Yeah, sure.
We can. Yeah. I just want to just uh, summarize as best I can, if that's even possible, such a uh, such a deep and important subject. And I'm just going to go back to what Kirsten S. said in the uh, most recent essay uh, article. Not accepting what God gives you as enough. Folks, I have to remember I have enough. I need not lust after anything. My higher power will provide for me. I may not understand in the moment why that's true or why that's right or what is provided is enough, but I can trust I can go back to my third step and trust that my higher power is for me, not against me. And just trust that what God provides for me and my loved ones is, in fact, enough. It's time for us to end. If you can do that. Yeah, yeah, no problem at all. Thanks again, Dennis. I really appreciate it. It's been a joy to work this with you. And and, uh, it's great to meet you. I look forward to getting to know you over the weekend. And thank you all for participating as well. It's really nice to be here with, with you guys. And uh, I wish you a great convention. Uh, anything you've heard at this meeting is strictly the opinion of the individual participant. The principles of SA are found in our 12 steps and 12 traditions. Uh, let's close with the seventh step prayer. If everybody would like to rise and... If you want to do a circle, we can do the circle. If you don't want to do a circle, we don't have to. Okay, let's do a circle. Oh, you got it? Yeah. If you will, we'll take a moment of silence for the sick and suffering in and out of the rooms of recovery. My creator, my creator, I am now ready to share all of you. Good to have you. I pray that you now every single defect of character which stands in the way my usefulness to you and my fellows. Grant me strength as I go out from here to do your bidding. Amen. Don't leave. But he's, uh, thank you so much. I mean, What's well, up with me? I get every, I get every Bill said, oh, you got to see Brian. Yeah. And I, hey, brother. <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah. I agree with all that. Hey now, you don't have to be professional. I wanted to be Charlie Keene. I wanted to have suitcases with cocaine and porn stars in my door. And I wanted to be like Robert De Niro too. I wanted it all. Robert De Niro's okay. Uh, he has a lot. He has work out with Charlie Sheen. No, no, no. I, I wanted to be. I wanted to act out like and you, you can't, and, and nearly killed me. It almost killed Charlie Sheen, too. Oh, I know. He's, he's got HIV. I mean, he's, he's lucky. I mean, he's got all that money that he can pay for all these things. You know, you know, you know Kevin Pollock Kevin Pollock said the way to do one is you get your phone and you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you're welcome. It's my honor. It really is. Anyway, my pleasure. Ah, I'm happy to be here. We're all movie stars. We're all. Yeah, yeah, me too, man. Stanislavski. Don't you? I know. What do you? What do you want? I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of the Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.